0: This sermon's scripture is found in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. I'll be reading from the ESV translation in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, It's true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. If you please open up in your Bibles to John chapter 8, John in the New Testament, you'll find the first Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find John, John 8 verse 12. Um, So this, of course, is just a reminder to those of you who profess to believe in Jesus, that if you have trusted in him, that we are forgiven all our sins due to Christ's sacrificial work on the cross. He paid our sin fines so we can walk forgiven and free. Why? Why can we walk forgiven and free? When the wages of sin is death, yet he who is without sin bore the punishment for our sins and took God's wrath on sin for us. So if there is any sadness over your sin, If you've ever wondered, why can't I stop sinning? Or maybe that you've sinned too much in your life. I want you to rejoice because 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow or godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief or worldly sorrow produces death. So due to the amount of grace that God has given us through Christ... We are to believe and repent. Now, a lot of people hear the word repent. Oh, my goodness, this guy's getting legalistic and he's being a Pharisee. So what's the definition of repentance? Repent. GodQuestions.org define repentance. Repent means to change your mind about something. Of course, when a person has a change of mind about something, the result is a change of behavior as well. So if a driver is headed south on a highway and suddenly realizes that he's going the wrong direction, he'll get off at the next exit and go the opposite direction. The driver has repented. He has changed his mind about the direction he should be driving. If he realizes he's going the wrong direction but decides to continue on without making any changes, he has not really repented. In the New Testament, Repentance is associated with a change of mind about sin. Saying sorry, or being sorry, or even feeling sorry, are not the same as repenting. A person can feel emotionally sorry for something without addressing the underlying issue. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he felt great remorse over what he had done to Jesus, but he didn't repent. Instead, he committed suicide. Peter also felt great remorse when he, after he denied Jesus three times, But in his case, it resulted in genuine repentance and a change of direction, a transformation of the heart. And later, he boldly proclaimed Christ, even in the face of persecution. Guys and gals, we are to be transformed and to be born again. We are to desire obedience and to follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. To love our neighbor as you love yourself. The law is fulfilled in those two commandments. So when I say love, I'm not talking about a subjective, just a little warm, fuzzy feeling. The love described in the Bible rejoices with righteousness and truth. What's the truth? God's word is the truth. And God defined love, if you want to look it up in some other time, 1 Corinthians 13. It's not defined by man or woman. Love is defined by God. And we're also commanded to share the good news of Jesus with others, with our words and actions. Yet many, even listening right now, perhaps, maybe you hate the truth and you are denying it by being willfully ignorant because maybe you love your sin more than you love God. And if God does not exist, people don't want him to exist. Why? So then they can rid themselves of the guilt of their sin If there's no God, that means I can live in sin and do what I want and indulge all the more in wrongdoing. So what are some examples of willful ignorance today? Well, if you look in the world, you see a bunch of transgender and sexual confusion. And I I just have a question. So if a body part does not define your gender, why does cutting it off then define your gender? Other examples include complying with any and everything that the media or social media tells you or anything that the news or government says. I want you to think. I want you to think. Thinking, you know, people think, too, that maybe drinking alcohol will fix all your problems. You have a bunch of problems and you think that drinking and having temporary pleasure will solve the real problem in your heart. Maybe watching pornography, you distract yourself from your problems, whether it's your family or something in the world. Maybe you lie about others and you gossip behind their back and you make yourself feel better about yourself by putting other people down. I want you to think about your identity. Is your identity based off of what others think about you or about what God thinks about you? Or are you thinking instead, compared to thinking, what does God think about me, thinking about what man thinks about me, is you're thinking then that you you must be in a, a relationship to have value. Fun fact, if you cannot be content with being single, do not be in a relationship. Why root your identity into someone else compared to who you really need to be rooting your identity in for eternity? Get a relationship with Christ as your first love before ever thinking you should be in a relationship with someone. Why? If that relationship is not centered on God, it will fail. Or you just tempt yourself to have sex before marriage, which is also sin, Sex is reserved for marriage as God designed it as for man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. Notice it doesn't say male and male, female and female or whatever you label yourself, which I have been told follow the science by people who don't even acknowledge the basic truths of human beings being male or female from birth. Marriage is for man and woman alone based off the word of God. So do not just believe every single man-made idea that's thrown at you in school or wherever you hear it. Hold me accountable too. If I'm saying something that's not based off the Bible, then I'd like you to talk to me. Look up the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, okay? Line it up with scripture. Use discernment. Think. Figure out what is true and figure out what is lies. No sinful or earthly thing, no matter how innocent Will give you true fulfillment and lasting joy, hope, and peace during all circumstances compared to the eternal hope you have if you have a relationship with Christ. Think eternally, think the long game, not just in the temporal, okay? So, in our passage, if you look in your Bible in John chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus was teaching in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury part of the temple had the most people in it compared to the other parts. And the room would be filled with candles. And the candles, they just lit up the whole room. And in verse 12, Jesus is claiming he is the light of the world. This is one of the seven I am statements. When Jesus says I am, he is actually identifying himself as God. Which is why the Jewish leaders wanted him dead for committing blasphemy. So the first I am statement is in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. His words here remind us of when God created the universe and the world when he said in Genesis 1 verse 3, Let there be light and there was light. Jesus here says, I am the light of the world. And this points to him being the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. Isaiah 42, 6-7, which this was mentioned 700 years before Jesus even came. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant or a promise for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, to, from those who are in prison who sit and darkness. Jesus is the light. He is the promised Savior. He opened the eyes of the blind if you look in the next chapter in John chapter 9, which we'll look at eventually. And so what a joy it is for us. I just talked about a dungeon and being walked away and being a prisoner. (laughs) Us too who are once in the dungeon and surrounded by darkness for those who are in Christ and have trusted in Him. It's, he set us free. I want to I look at a few different parts of Scripture that talks about light. And you may think, well, why, why trust the Bible? The Bible it is a written word of God. And if you have questions on, on, on the Bible and the history of it, I have a bunch of resources I could share with you if you would like. Um, so let's look at a few passages that talk about light based off the Scripture. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 1 John 1.5-10 This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John 1: four to five: "In him, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." So who is the light? Who's the light? Jesus, hey, exactly. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the only true source of light. Jesus is God and claimed to be God, which no other religion will claim. You See, all these other religions are all lies by Satan. When Muhammad died, they said, what, what's going to happen to you? And he said, I don't know. Compared to Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He didn't stutter. So why did Jesus say he's the light during this specific time? So remember, setting, they're in the temple, right? And there's all these candles burning around. And they would burn all night and all day. And the reason they did this, um, the Jews, they did this to celebrate the 40 years the Israelites wandered in the wilderness when God rescued them From slavery in Egypt, which was 400 years of slavery, and when he rescued them out, when when he worked through Moses to lead them out, he led them by a pillar of cloud through the day, and by a pillar of fire during the night. So now, what does it mean if you're walking in darkness? What does it look like to walk in darkness? It means that you're living in blatant, non-repentant sin. The born-again believer of Christ may occasionally fall into sin, but does not dive into sin. Do not give the flesh any advantage. We must take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fight against the demonic and the flesh. When Jesus was tempted and he didn't sin, how did he fight the lies of Satan? He quoted scripture against the lies. So the lies that you have in your life, you need to be taking scripture and fighting against the lies and replacing it with the truth. You're not defined by what you think you are or by what others say you are, but what the word of God says about who you are. We must walk in the light and follow Christ compared to walking in darkness. Proverbs 4.19 the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And John three, nineteen to twenty one, and this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world, and people love the darkness, they love their sin rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? We are to walk in the light. And we are to pursue righteousness and obedience. In the ancient text, it's used of a soldier who's following his commander It's used of someone following a wise counselor, someone following the law obediently. And we are to be sheep who are guided by the true shepherd, by his staff, and we're protected by his rod. To be a follower of Christ is that you are to die to yourself and you are to live for Christ. You are to be a living sacrifice. If you find that in Romans 12, that's where it's at. So it means... You are not to be of the world, but you are to be, you're in the world, but you are to be set apart from the world. And it won't be popular, it won't. You will be hated for not participating in sin with others. You'll get made fun of. But would you rather live for the temporary and the things that do not matter compared to actually standing firm and living for the truth? This is the end game. This is the eternal perspective or you just indulge in sin. You just indulge in sin. You live for little temporary highs and you keep falling down. And then you wonder, what is the purpose of your life? So if you're living for Christ, you will be hated. But remember during those times who you live for. What can man do to us? compared to our eternity that is secured by the sacrificial work of Christ. I want to ask now, do you care more about what man or woman, who is nothing but dust and ashes, what they think about you, or do you care about standing in front of the Holy God and what He thinks about you? Think. Think about that. Think about what God thinks of you. Eternity is at stake. How are you going to live your life? You're in the early days. I know you may think you're immortal right now, but how are you going to live your life? Who will you live it for? Are you going to be walking in the light? Are you going to be walking in darkness? Be wise because the word of God is true and says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. So for those of you who have been born again, rejoice because we win. We have eternal victory through Christ he's conquered Satan we have eternal victory for those of you who do not trust in Christ and you want to live in your sin blatantly and you don't want to repent you don't want to turn from it there's no other words I can tell you than to turn from it believe the gospel repent believe the gospel if not woe to you why you will give account for your sins. Someone's got to pay for them. And if you do not trust in Christ who paid it all, then you will pay for them forever, separated from God. We all have been plagued with the sickness of sin, myself included. I don't think I'm up here and that I'm perfect, and that I'm not a sinner, that I'm not fallen down, okay? We're all sick, but there's a cure. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's a cure. The good news of Jesus is the cure. Do you just know of the cure or have you applied the cure to yourself? Are you just a walking dead man, a walking corpse, looking to just indulge in in the disease that's killing you? How silly. Why would you do that? When you learn that you will die, but you know who is in control of your life and you are right with God, then be encouraged because although we live In the shadow land, in a world of darkness, there is realness and beauty that is found in the kingdom of God that is not of this world. We can truly live with joy when we know how to die. Luke 9, 23 to 26, Jesus said, and he said it to all. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he gains the whole world, all the money, all the sin, all whatever, and yet loses and forfeits his soul himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. When you see Jesus, will he know you? Will he know you? Or will he say to you, away from me, I never knew you. So you may be thinking, well, how can I know that Jesus knows me? How can you know? We're going to look at that in just a second. So, verse 13 of the passage, we see our second problem if you read it. The Pharisees here are accusing Jesus. They are accusing him of an invalid claim. They're saying, your testimony is not true. They claim there are no other witnesses who have claimed Jesus to be the Savior, to be the Christ, unless it is claimed by two other witnesses. This is a lie. Jesus' words should have been enough due to when the officers told them, when they came up to him, and they said, why didn't you arrest Jesus? And Jesus responded, or Uh, The officers responded, no one ever spoke like this man. His works when he performed miracles of healing, power over nature, etc. Who else could testify to Jesus' claims, okay? Who were other witnesses? Let me just list a few. John the Baptist, the 12 disciples, the Samaritan woman, Martha, the four and 5,000 that he miraculously fed fish and bread, Those who witnessed him raise Lazarus from the dead. There was a guy that was dead for days. And he walked over to the tomb in John 11 and said, Lazarus, come out. And the guy came out and was alive. What else testifies about him? The Old Testament scriptures. And above all, God himself was a witness to Jesus being his son, the Messiah. Yet still for the Jewish leaders, there was not enough proof for them. And for the unbeliever who is unwilling to believe the truth, there will never be enough evidence because you have blinded yourself because you don't want God to be real because you love your sin more than him. A better solution is if you're ignorant, and you don't believe simply just because you don't know. That's easier to work with compared to blatant unbelief. But John seven seventeen, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority this is the answer this is the answer if you're willing to know the truth you will know the truth okay so praise god if you even believe if you've heard the truth yet you refuse to believe it and are blatantly ignorant you're in a dangerous dangerous ball game for eternity so is your belief because of ignorance if you hear the gospel are you willing to believe the truth Jesus said he is true because he is God and not subject to the need of witnesses because the law was made for man, not for God. Jesus is the truth. There's no lies. There's no sin in him. His answer is correct. Even when he was baptized, even when he was baptized, God the Father claimed, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So verse 15 and 16, a lot of people say, well, God will judge me. Really? That's a dangerous ballgame to think too, okay? If you're going to go out and c- commit blatant sin and live in denial of the truth, and you think, well, Jesus doesn't judge. Jesus doesn't judge. I- I've just been given grace, and I can do whatever I want. In verses 15 to 16, we see right now, while it's still available, there is still grace and mercy found in Christ. Why? Because he paid it all on the cross. And God rained down his wrath for sin on Jesus. So if you're in Christ, his righteousness has been imputed to you. It has been put on you. If you have believed in him, if you've trusted in him for forgiveness of sins. But if not, then you're going to have to bear the weight of your sin. So Jesus brought the message of forgiveness and compassion, mercy and grace. But he will return. He will return, and he will return with a sword, and he will judge. Jesus said in John 5, verse 20 to 24, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will Because he seeks the will of the father perfectly. Verse 18, we already talked about with Mark chapter one, that God, the father said that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 19, the Jewish leaders were mocking Jesus. And they said, if you read in in your Bibles in verse 19, they said, where is your father? Where is your father? They did not know that Jesus was the Christ, that he was a savior, because they didn't know the father who they claimed to know. They rejected him. John 16, three, Jesus said, and they will do these things because they have not known the father, nor do they know me. Verse 20, we open with yet again. So uh, we clearly see that no one can stop the plan of our God. He is sovereign, which means he is all powerful. He is supreme and he is over his creation. So regarding hell, I want to read you a quick quote. We're getting ready to wrap up. Thank you for paying attention. John MacArthur, he said, Hell is where you now finally know who you need, and you seek but never find. That's why there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, intense regret and sorrow forever. So, John 12, 35, I want you to walk right now in the light because you have him. I want you to live. Christ. I want you to follow him and to trust in him still while grace and mercy is still available. Will you die in your sins or will you die in Jesus' righteousness? You must keep an eternal perspective. No matter what you go through, the light reveals your darkness. I know it may feel right now like I'm just talking a bunch about, about a Bunch of bad news and about a bunch of sin and hell and terror. But this is true. I'm not going to give you some sugar-coated false gospel. How can the good news be good news if you don't know why it's good? Okay? There's the bad news. The wages of sin is death. But there's the good news that there's mercy and grace in Christ. This is why I want to tell you all of this. And you need to take this seriously because there are people out there who are walking corpses. And they don't know the truth. They don't know the good news and how selfish of us to walk around all happy and we know the good news, yet we don't share it with anybody. We don't share it with anybody (laughs) and we just let people by. We just let them walk straight to hell. How selfish, how selfish. But I want you to be encouraged. If you are in Christ, you have eternal hope because your savior and your Lord lives. The tomb is empty and compared to him saying I don't know you, and you can't come with me. Where I, where I am going, you can't come with me. For those of you who have believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's preparing a room for you. He has forgiven you. He has saved you. It is unearned, undeserved grace, which is why you're saved. That's the gift and the beauty of how much that God loves you. And He's with you right now. He has loved you when you have nothing to give Him. You have nothing to give him but your sins and no demon, no devil, no person, no circumstance, no suffering or trial can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus being the light of the world means the world has no other light in him. Four points and then we'll be done. Number one, there is no other God, there is no no other Savior other than Jesus. Point two, all the world and everyone in it needs Jesus as their light because they are in darkness and dead without Him. Point three, it means that the world was made for this light. The world was made for Jesus. God made the world for him. Creation was made for this light to fill it. Without the light of Jesus, you don't see anything the way that you should see it. With the light of Jesus, you start to actually live. You see real beauty. Because we live right now, once again, we live in the shadow land compared to the kingdom. Point four, one day, this world will be filled completely completely with the light of Jesus and nothing else when there's new creation. The light reveals the darkness, the light reveals sin, and it will banish it and all sinners out of the world unless you are saved and you are in Christ. And there will be no more weeping, no more crying, no more pain, there will be no more darkness when God makes all things new. What a joy that is. And you will get to enjoy Him forever every single day, to grow in relationship with God from now and forever. There will be perfection like there was in the beginning when God created, when he made Adam and Eve before they sinned. The Creation was good. And it's amazing that even right now, that there is still the beauty of a sunset, the mountains, the ocean. The rain falls on the just and the unjust that God has that much mercy, when in reality, when humans sinned, he could have said, that's it, I'm done, game over, destroyed everything. Yet he still had a plan of redemption. And that plan of redemption was only due to Christ Jesus. I want to leave you with one verse, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is the living word who has been revealed to us through the written word, a.k.a. the Bible. I want to encourage you this week. Spend time with him. Listen to what he has to say to you through his word. If you don't know where to start, I'd love to talk to you after this. Pray that he would apply the word to your heart so that you can go out in the world in the darkness and you don't snuff out your light, but you represent the light of the world and that you are the light compared to living in the darkness. Okay? Will you pray with me? Father, we just thank you that even though that we have sinned, that we have fallen short, whether it's lying or stealing or gossiping or lusting or hating somebody or whatever sin we may have committed in our lives, gossiping, etc., etc. We know that you had a plan of redemption. Lord, that You are a just and holy God and you took care of sin. You took care of our sin debt and you paid it in full when you rained down your wrath on your son, Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, he bore all of our sins and that you have promised that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What a joy. It's not based off what we've done. It's not based off of some prayer or some thing that we've done or maybe thinking that we've gone to church all of our life or that we've read enough scripture or whatever that may be. It is completely by grace and your mercy that we have been saved. That's the gift. That's the free gift. So I pray that because of you and what you've done for us and the mercy that you've given us and three days later, after you died and you said the payment for sin is over, that it is finished, you rose again. If the resurrection was not true, we would have no hope. We would, be, we would not be believing in the truth. But the resurrection is true. Jesus, you're alive. You're interceding for us. And we thank you for that. We rejoice because of that. So I pray for this group of people in here right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction of sin of righteousness and judgment, but knowing and that they can rejoice because if they have trusted in you, Jesus, that all their sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. I pray also that you would just bless them, you would draw near to them, and that we could enjoy the rest of this evening together. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.